0: What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Harry Potter season here on Cinemac Reviews. As always, I'm your host, Chris, and this is the show about all things movies and TV. Every week, I give my thoughts and reactions to the newest releases, beloved franchises, and even upcoming projects like the MCU and Star Wars universe. You can, of course, support the show by giving it a rating slash review on your favorite podcast service, as well as following the show on all social media platforms. All the handles can be found on the Facebook page. Just search for Cinematic Reviews. It helps out the show a lot, and I really do appreciate all the support out there from everyone this past year. It has been a blast doing this show, and I'm excited for the new year that is right around the corner. Today, we travel back to Hogwarts for Harry's sixth year with Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Once again, it stars Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert Grint, Michael Gambon, and Maggie Smith, along with Alan Rickman as Professor Snape i'm really excited to get back to talking harry potter uh so let's kick things off as usual with some facts about the film harry potter and the half-blood prince was released on july 15th 2009 and was once again directed by david yates he of course is best known for directing the later part uh, of later section of films in the harry potter franchise starting with the order of the phoenix that we that i covered last week uh, along with the three fantastic Beasts* films and the legend of tarzan the film grossed 934 million dollars against an estimated 250 million dollar budget warner brothers spent roughly 155 million just on marketing and distributing the film dame maggie smith uh complete uh completed filming while undergoing radiotherapy as treatment for breast cancer. Uh, Shout out to her for soldiering through all of that. Hero Fines Tiffin, who was cast as Tom Riddle in this film, is actually the nephew of Rafe Fines, who plays Lord Voldemort in the franchise. This is Radcliffe's least favorite performance in the franchise, stating that he was just not very good in it. He also revealed in the same interview that he was struggling with alcohol at the time of filming. Uh, he could tell in certain scenes that he was intoxicated. Emma Watson, again, considered not returning to the franchise, but eventually decided to come back as Hermione Granger because the pluses far outweighed the minuses, and it would be very, very hard for her to watch uh, the, the rest of the films with someone else portraying Hermione. Yates stated that the color palette and the lighting methods used in the film were heavily inspired by the famous painter, painter Rembrandt. This is the only Harry Potter film to be nominated for Best Cinematography, and I'll talk about that more later on in the show today. But the cinematography is one of the many reasons why this has been one of my favorite uh, of the franchise. In this film, Jessie Cave, a white actress, portrays Lavender Brown. However, in previous films, Lavender was portrayed by Kathleen McAuley, who is a black actress. The film was originally set to be released on November 21st, 2008, but was postponed to July 15th, 2009. Warner Brothers received many death threats from the fan base over this decision. The official reason for the postponement was due to the writer's strike that was happening at the time. But the unofficial and most likely reason uh, it was postponed is probably due to the massive success of The Dark Knight that was uh, released uh, that year as well when Draco malfoy goes to the room of requirement for the final time uh you can see the harp uh that was that uh that put fluffy uh to sleep as well as the king from the chess game uh that was from the sorcerer's stone film and then lastly this is the last film of the franchise that was released in full screen that's pretty much it for the facts on this film most of them uh The rest of them are pretty much just how the film differs from the book, and I will dive more into that in the book versus movie segment later on in the show. But let's get to my thoughts on Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. So Half-Blood Prince is the film that pretty much every... Uh, Harry Potter book fan was up in arms about when it was released. Well, not everyone, I suppose, but a large number of fans. I, for one, love the film for what it is. Of course, I do disagree with some of the decisions that they made, but it's still a phenomenal film. The cast is incredible. The action is very, very entertaining. And the story sucks the audience right in from the moment it starts. Uh, We get to dive into why and how Voldemort is the way he is. This is another dark year at Hogwarts for Harry and his friends, and and it's only going to get darker from here. This time around, Dumbledore recruits Harry to stop Voldemort by hunting down Horcruxes, which are pieces of Voldemort's soul. Uh, Towards the end of the film, it's revealed to the audience that back in the day, Tom Riddle, aka Voldemort, was able to split his soul into seven pieces in order to pretty much extend his lifespan. Uh, it's, It's a really dark and dangerous spell, but Voldemort was able to do it. This mission to stop Voldemort ends in tragedy, though. Hogwarts loses its beloved headmaster. Not only that, but it was at the hands of one of their own. Uh, Throughout the film, it's implied that Malfoy will be the one to eventually kill Dumbledore by the end of the film, but at the very last moment, he is unable to. So due to the unbreakable vow that uh, Snape uh, committed to at the beginning of the film, he must be the one to kill Dumbledore. And... Does that at Dumbledore's request? That moment is always so heartbreaking, no matter how many times you watch it. Dumbledore pleading to Snape to do it is so tragic. Michael gammon and Alec Rickman both are so good in this scene. It's it's one of the reasons why the Half Blood Prince has been my favorite of the series for so long, until Goblet of Fire dethroned it a couple weeks ago on the show. And I'll reveal uh, in the rankings. Uh, if it does get the crown back or not. Uh, I do agree with Radcliffe that this is his weakest performance and his alcohol addiction explains a lot of that. He really is out of it for a lot, most of the film. It was obvious that something was off with him and the whole him battling alcoholism makes a lot of sense. We, we all have demons, uh, even someone as beloved as Radcliffe even has his own demons that he is dealing with. Fortunately, uh, from what I understand, he is doing a lot better. He's healthier and he's happy with his life. So shout out to him for facing and conquering his demons. It's truly inspirational, especially being on set for a film this massive and beloved. It's just it's truly uh, remarkable that he was able to still uh, give a decent enough performance to where this is such a phenomenal film. Uh, and the cast, uh, the rest of the cast is on their A game, of course, through which helps the film out a lot since, you know, they're, like I said, their leading man was having difficulties off camera with alcoholism. And I'm really glad Emma Watson continued to come back for each film because she really is the only one uh, to give the Hermione Granger character true justice that she deserves. And Ruber Grant also gets to shine as well. And he's, actually really awesome in this film he gets to be quidditch star while also experiencing life with a woman and falling in love i guess you could i guess love is a strong word um she is quite a crazy woman uh lavender brown is and of she is definitely the definition of an obsessed girlfriend but ron gets to experience relationships and all that and so he really truly does get to shine in this film Uh, Harry also gets to find love in Jenny which I still don't buy Uh, their chemistry is not believable at all he he has way more chemistry with Hermione and I will always be team Harry and Hermione the chemistry between Hermione and Ron isn't really believable either but the Jenny Harry relationship is even more unbelievable I mean JK Rowling has even gone on record numerous times that Harry and Hermione should have ended up together but too late now. It, it's not like she can go back and rewrite the series so that the right people could end up together. You know, uh, I would rather have settled with Harry or Cho Ch- and Cho Chang ending up together. Uh, that's how much I really hate the Jenny and Harry relationship. It it makes no sense in my mind. Jenny had more chemistry with say Neville, uh, so I could have easily uh, been fine shipping those two together. Uh, I believe he ends up with. Uh, Luna Lovegood, though. Aside from the relationships, I think The Blood Prince is not just a good Harry Potter film, but a good film in general. The The action is still incredible, especially the wand fights. Uh, in particular, the fight between Harry and Malfoy in the bathroom was crazy awesome and dark. Uh, it's very violent as well, especially with Harry using the Sectumsempra spell on Malfoy. Uh, I think it was would have been mind-blowing if Rowling did kill off Malfoy in this part of the series. But we wouldn't have gotten Malfoy hesitating to kill Dumbledore in the end, which is such a heartbreaking scene, even though Malfoy has been a total douchebag this whole time. Uh it still amazes me how the audience just feels for Malfoy. He like he he is such back, he's Backed in such a corner with the Death Eaters that he has no choice. He has to do this, but ultimately he fails to do it, and then that's where Snape steps in. The cinematography is just incredible as well. I mean, it won an Oscar for it, and rightfully so. It's a beautiful-looking film. Uh, There are so many good shots, like Dumbledore and Harry standing on the rocks with the big waves crashing around them, Dumbledore's body falling off the tower after being killed by Snape, the flashback sequences looked awesome as well. Just an outstanding job by Bruno Del Delbon- who was the cinematographer on the film. I probably butchered his last name. Apologize to you, Bruno. But he did a phenomenal job, and he rightfully earned that Oscar that year. Uh, on that note, let's take a quick break before I dissect the film even more in the standout scenes segment. With 2022 coming to an end, it's time to reflect on the hits and misses of the past year. We got a lot of great content and not so great content throughout the year. So I wanted to spend an episode of just giving my top favorites of both films and movies in 2022, while also giving my Oscar predictions and looking ahead to 2023. So join me next week for the big 2022 in-review episode here on Cinematic Reviews. So lately I've been trying to cut these scenes down to like nine or 10 of them, but this film is so hard to cut it down to this dad. I think I have like 12 or 13 on this list because I just love all these scenes and I want to talk about them. So the first one I have is opening sequence. This is where we get the death eaters uh, flying around London and then flying through Diagon Alley and crashing into all of Andrew's wand shop and kidnapping him. It does a great job of setting the tone. Like, like, Things are about to get dark and real, uh, if they haven't already. Like the Death Eaters are coming for blood. Like they kidnapped Ollivander, who gives Hogwarts students their wands. Like that is a very important character for you to just kidnap right off the bat. So, like I said, it really does a great job of setting the tone. I will talk about this scene more in book versus movie because it this is not how the book opens up. It's actually very very different. But I think it I think it does a very good job at setting the tone for the film, and I'm really glad that they. They put it in here. It's such a great scene. Uh, the next one is the Unbreakable Vow. This is where Snape and Malfoy's mom, whose name I always forget and I can't think of it. Uh, she's the sister of Bellatrix Lestrange, the one, the death eater that killed uh, Sirius Black, uh, who is played by the awesome Helenbaum Carter. But uh, Snape and Malfoy's mom, they form this Unbreakable Vow to where Malfoy has been ordered by Voldemort to kill Dumbledore. He is going, he's also ordered to help the Death Eaters get into Hogwarts without being detected. Um, This is a really awesome scene because we see, because we're not, it really makes the audience second guess the Snape character, which the franchise has done a great job at doing throughout these films. We're not exactly sure what side he's on. And uh, spoiler alert, we will find out uh, in the, the coming films. But, I really love Alan Rickman. He is such a terrific Snape. He plays it so well. And I love him in this scene because he just brings this confusing co- confusing nature to Snape and I, and I really love it cuz you really you're like you're trying to grasp like what is his motive here? Is he on Dumbledore's side? Is he on Voldemort's side? Is he a, a secret double agent for Doublemore, Dumbledore as he's trying to Take down Voldemort's army from within. You know, it's it's really fascinating how Alan Rickman leaves you guessing every time he's on screen of what his motives or what what he is secretly doing behind the scenes. Um, and I really love just I love the effect also of the Unbreakable Vow. You get the the cool light veins coming around their hands, and and it's such a really awesome effect that they were able to come up with. Next one I have is the first memory of Tom Riddle. Ah, uh, this is where young Dumbledore uh, visits Riddle in the orphanage. It really lets the audience know that Voldemort was very, very troubled even as a young child, and it explains why he is who he is today. So I really and I really love the the effect of it being in the past. You know, the black and white and the and the way we enter this flashback with the the black drops and everything just kind of falling into place like water. It's a really cool effect how they set that up. And then we have Katie getting cursed by the necklace. I really love this scene because it's really, really intense. Uh, the way th- their decision to have her floating up in the air and her hair is just floating in there and she's she's screaming, but it, there's no sound coming out. It's It's terrifying. They did such an awesome job with this. So of course it's on my list for standout scenes. Then we get all the Quidditch stuff. Of course, Quidditch is my all-time favorite part of this universe, and we finally get more. We took us Quidditch took a backseat in order of the Phoenix, which was one of my negatives of that film. So I'm glad we get to come back to it. Like I said, Ron becomes a Quidditch star. He becomes the the new keeper, uh, and he does a fantastic job there. Ginny is also on the team, uh, even though. She was technically on the team. They were both technically on the team in Order to the Phoenix, but the films don't introduce that until this one. Uh, she's great. Uh, she is uh, kind of spearheading the team. Uh, I believe Harry is the captain this time around, but she kind of takes over that co-captain role uh, since he is kind of dealing with the snitch every match. So it was really awesome to get more and more quidditch this time around. And then we have the jealous Hermione scene. This is, uh, I believe, this was uh, when this is after Ron kind of be and Lavender become official. I guess is the right term, and she kind of spots them making out. And this is where we kind of we where we start to realize that Hermione has feelings for Ron, and uh, and she's really hurt by uh, his sudden relationship with lavender even though lavender is kind of a nut job uh but and then we get harry who is kind of in the similar uh state as hermione where we have jenny is kind of hooking up with uh, dean thomas and so we get to really see him and hermione kind of bond together because since they're in the same mental state as far as uh their love life and relationships and jealousy and all that. So it was really good to get a scene of Hermione and Harry really bonding and becoming really, really close friends. And this really cements the fact that these two should have been together in the end. But like I said, it's too late now. J.K. Rowling did not write it that way. She can go on and say as much as she want wishes that she would have did it differently, but she did. So we're going to have to just live with it. Uh, Then next scene is the second memory of Tom Riddle. This is where Slughorn kind of gets into the picture more. Um, We get this uh, feeling that Riddle is kind of up to stuff at Hogwarts as a student. He's kind of, I guess, a rule breaker. And he's really curious about all this dark magic that the professors don't really teach him. I mean, that should have been a red flag right there. You know, you got a student coming up to you asking about dark magic and if there are spells that they can't teach you at Hogwarts. I mean, they really should have spotted the red flags. And I mean, maybe they did and they just didn't know how to handle it. But I mean, come on. This this kid is clearly disturbed. Uh, but with this memory, it's distorted, as Dumbledore explains to Harry. Like, it's a fake. Uh, it's not what really happened, but he doesn't. He needs the right memory from Slughorn himself. So then, that's where Harry gets his kind of mission from Dumbledore to basically become a teacher's pet to Slughorn and to get him to reveal what actually happened uh, w- between him and Tom Riddle. The next scene is the love potion. This is this is a great scene because we get uh, Ron, who is just hooked. On this love potion from uh, Fred and George's uh, prank shop, I guess is how, what you could call it. It's really fun. I love the the breaking tone. It's it's really funny. I find myself cracking up every time I watch it. Him just staring off at the moon, just in love with a woman that he's never even met, because it is revealed later that it was the potion was actually meant for Harry. Uh, and I can't remember her name, but she popped up a few times at the beginning of the film. But she was the one; she's the one that's really uh, in love with Harry because he's the chosen one. Um, and that was another great scene where they're in the library and Hermione smacks him with the book because he kind of admits, he, yeah, I am the chosen one. Great, great. I love the humor in this film. It's, it's a great way to kind of break the dark tension and tone of the film. And so this this love potion scene is is really awesome, especially Rubric Grant, who does a phenomenal job at playing this uh, over the over the moon in love version of Ron. Then we get the probably my uh, probably one of my favorites. I think Dumbledore's death is still my favorite, just because of the heartbreaking moment. But this this fight between Harry and Malfoy in the bathroom is dark and violent, and I absolutely love it. We they get exchanges of of some spells back and forth. We get the, the stalls and the sinks breaking and the water everywhere. And it's dark and it's gross and it's wet all over the place. And then Harry shouts out sectum, Sempra," a spell that he has no idea what's going to happen. He just read it in a book and just does it. And it is violent and bloody. It, it basically cut open, uh, Malfoy with like, 10 different cuts on his body it it was gruesome and that and the audience is left in that moment like crap maybe malfoy is gonna die here and it's terrifying i mean maybe some of you were excited that they're gonna finally kill this douchebag off but i mean he's just a kid he's he's a 16 year old kid who is in way over his head who who yeah is a pretty arrogant a-hole but he didn't deserve to die like that. Like that was a violent way to die, and he's just bleeding out on the floor. And then we get Snape coming in and healing him. Uh, the book explains it more, but apparently, uh, and then I guess we can jump into this. One of the scenes I have is at the very end, is where Snape reveals that he's the Haplet Prince. Well, he invented those that spell. He invented Sectum Sectumsempra, and he invented this spell to to essentially counter that spell that he created it, it heals him uh so great awesome moment i love rewatching that whenever i can then we get slughorn's true memory of tom roda reveal this is where uh tom asks about horcruxes which are which is a way to kind of split the soul into different pieces and to kind of live on forever this is how he was able to live the past uh whatever it was the 11 10 years uh after being stopped by harry as a baby so like I, so the is are basically the macguffin at this point they're they're really coming into the plot in the next two films so it was really cool to see uh, kind of where where it all started like how did Voldemort become who he is and and all that and that's why i, I really love this film because we get a lot of explanation and backstory for Voldemort, who has kind of been in the background for a lot of this franchise. And now we're starting to dive into who he is and, and, and all that. Then we get the heartbreaking moment of Dumbledore's death. Uh, I mean, this is, this is truly one of the pitiful moments of not just the film, but the franchise as a whole, uh, Dumbledore is such a beloved character and to, get to this moment is it just rips your heart out um especially with it being snape you know one of his someone that he truly respects and considers a dear friend and he at, and he basically pleads severus please and it's just gut wrenching you get snape yelling a kedavra and you see the green light come out of his wand and that is it dumbledore is dead he's falling we get the long shot of him falling off the tower hitting the ground and then we get Harry who's just, just broken and he's, and he doesn't know what to do. I mean, this is his mentor. Like he is dead. He is on his own. And then we get the awesome shot of the students and staff raising their wands up to the sky and just destroying the dark Mark. And I love that moment because it's like, Hey, you may have killed our hood But we're coming for you. We're not afraid of you. We're going to take you down for doing this to us. And it's just a great moment. It's one of my favorite in the entire franchise. And then, of course, the last scene I have on the list is Snape revealing that he is the half Prince. And and it's really an awesome moment. You know, Harry is uh, confronting Snape. And he's like, why don't you fight back? Why aren't you finishing me off? I'm not going to stop. And then we have Snape just with the flick of his wand just throws Harry on his butt and he's just I'm the Half-Blood Prince. You can't touch me. I'm invincible. And it's such a great moment between those two characters who we have noticed throughout the series that Harry really does not like Snape. And to have him have a definite reason to come after him is a great moment for the character. And truly, truly awesome scene. It was a great way to to end this film and to kind of lead into the two-part finale that is yet to come. So up next, let's talk about some favorite quotes. So I've got a few quotes here that I that I always love hearing when I rewatch this. First one is once again, I must ask too much of you, Harry. This is from Dumbledore. I love this line. He he uh Says it a couple times throughout the film, and it's such a great line. Next I have, now as you know, each and every one of you was searched upon your arrival here tonight, and you have the right to know why. Once there was a young man who, like you, sat on this very hall, walked this castle's corridors, slept under its roofs. He seemed to all the world a student like any other. His name, Tom Riddle. Michael Gammon is so good as Dumbledore, and... His little speech uh, at the beginning of the year in every film is so good, and it and I this is probably one of my favorites. The way he just presents it, and he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna be real with you guys. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I'm not gonna hide information like the Ministry for Magic does. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna tell you how it is. Tom Riddle was a student here." He is a very, very troubled child and a very dangerous wizard, and he is coming for you. Do not underestimate him. Such a good, good way to kind of kick off this uh, this film. End the year, I should say, which ends up being a very, very dark and crazy year for the students of Hogwarts. Next one is uh, take Weasley with you. He looks far too happy over there. This is from Professor McGonagall, who is such a joy to see. I. I love Maggie Smith, and this is my probably. I've seen her in a few things over the years, but this is probably my favorite of hers. She she is so good as McGonagall, and 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 it's lines like this where just I I adore her. She's so good. Next one is uh, how much are these? This is from Ron talking to Fred and George. They reply five galleons, and then he replies back, "How much for me?" They say five galleons, and then he goes, "I'm your brother." They then they respond to 10 galleons this is some brother stuff that i mean my brothers and i do this all the time to each other you know just just pulling each other chain and trying to just give each other a hard time so i really 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 relate to these this back and forth next one is why is it when something happens it's always you three uh this is from mcgonagall talking to harry ron hermione and then ron her, ron responds in the only way possible believe me professor i've been asking myself the same thing for six years Probably one of my favorite uh, exchanges in the entire franchise. I really love it. Next, uh, you dare use my own spells against me, Potter? Yes, I, the Half-Blood Prince. Uh, Just a great way to kind of end the film, Uh, the big reveal of Snape. I mean, I guess it wasn't a big reveal because if you read the books, you know that Snape is the Half-Blood Prince. But for those who weren't familiar with the books at the time. And they were only fans of the movies. This was a great moment uh, to see. Next is uh, from Bellatrix. Uh, I killed Sirius Black. I killed Sirius Black. This is when she's when the Burrow uh, is on fire and she's running through the grass trying to lure Harry to her. She's screaming, "I killed Sirius Black!" in it, and it really stabs the audience in the heart because Sirius Black was such a beloved character and reminded that she killed him uh, in the previous film is, is, is heartbreaking. Excellent job by Helen Bon Carter as Bellatrix in the series. Next is probably another very, very funny line. Uh, this is from Harry at the funeral for Aragog. He goes, not to mention the pictures, pinchers. And we get the little thing with, uh, and it's, it's such a good job with what that Radcliffe does being on that, that the luck potion. Uh, just seeing him have fun and be goofy instead of this serious Harry was, it was a really nice break from the, from what he usually is. It, it's such a fun scene and fun, funny quote. Uh, next one's from Malfoy. I have to do this. I have to kill you again. Such a heartbreaking moment. And this line is just, it's gut wrenching seeing the 16 year old kid have to kill his headmaster. And then the last one I have on the list, of course, is Severus, please. This is Dumbledore pleading to Snape to, to kill him uh, as part of, and we'll find out in the in the next two films exactly what this means. Uh, next, let's talk about favorite spell. So once again, we get some awesome spell action in this film. Uh, these spells include Avada Kedavra, which is the killing curse. Uh, this was used by Snape to kill Dumbledore at the end. Uh, we get the Confundus Charm, which causes a target to be confused. Uh, Hermione uses this on McLagan during the Quidditch tryouts. Uh, I wanted to point this out: her not using her wand and just doing, just saying it out loud, is really impressive. Uh, in the books, they explain it more, but one level of being a very, very powerful witch or wizard is using your wand without saying the spell. You know, just thinking. Thinking it and your wand doing it is is one thing. But the fact that she didn't use her wand and just said it is really freaking impressive. Like, she has to be, like, Dumbledore-level powerful. And the films don't really dive into that more. But that's always amazed me that she could just say it without having her wand and then using the command charm on McLaggen like that. Really impressive. Shout out to Hermione for just being that awesome. Another spells uh, the firestorm's charm. this creates a large whirlwind of fire. Uh, we saw this in the cave where Dumbledore and uses it to, to save Harry from the Infuri, which are those demon-like creatures uh, in the water. We get a pugnall. This is a jinx that makes an object attack the desired target. Uh, this is used by Hermione to make those little small paper birds that she made attack Ron for kissing Lavender during the scene where her and Harry kind of bond over jealousy and stuff like that. Then we get the unbreakable vow. Uh, This is a vow that can't be broken. If someone under the, under this spell violates it, they die. Uh, This is used by Snape and Malfoy's mom. Snape promises to kill Dumbledore. If Draco is unable to do it himself, which he does. And then my favorite spell, uh this covers like I said the victim in deep deep cuts, very very violent spell. Uh, this was created by Snape as I explained and Harry using it on Draco, not knowing what it did was uh, was pretty terrifying and dark. Uh, I just love the effect of this. you know such a powerful and violent spell, but it's really cool on how they on the of the effects that the, that they did. It' was really really awesome. Next, let's, uh, favorite creature. There weren't a whole lot of creatures in this film, but there were still a couple of really cool ones. Uh, the first one was the pygmy puff. Uh, these are fluffy pets that eat scraps of food and insects. Uh, their, their fur ranges from shades of pink to purple. It was, it, was, it was a very, very short scene. It was only a couple seconds. Uh, so if you kind of blink, you'll miss it. But this, this was the little pink uh, creature sitting on Ginny's shoulder. Uh, when Luna was talking to her about, you know, pygmy puffs that she read in, in the, in the paper, this was all on the Hogwarts express going to Hogwarts. So it was a very, very quick scene, but very, very fascinating creatures. Uh, the next one is the waxpert. Uh, they're supposedly invisible tiny creatures that, that float into someone's ears and then can only be seen with the help of these special lenses, like the one Luna wears in this film. Uh, This is how Luna finds Harry on the train uh, after his uh, run-in with Malfoy. He kind of, I can't remember the name of the spell, but it basically paralyzed him to where he can't move at all. So he's just laying there on the floor, and Luna was, and then since Malfoy covered him with the invisibility invisibility cloak, Luna fortunately was able to find Harry because apparently he has these wax spurts. in his head uh there's a big they kind of they briefly talk about it uh but there's a big controversy between our wax real or not well we saw it in the film so i'm guessing they are a thing uh but my favorite creature of the film are the infuri they're basically these zombie demon things uh they attack they're the ones that ha- attack harry and dumbledore while they're stealing the Hulkrux necklace in the cave uh these are probably the creepiest creatures of the universe my sister was absolutely terrified by them when we were watching this film together so excellent job at creating and yet another very very terrifying creature kind of like the dementors i think the dementors are are up there these might be the scariest just because they are just terrifyingly looking i mean the dementors are just hooded figures but still very terrifying but on a list on a ranking of the most terrifying creatures of the universe, I would have to put the empry right at the very tip top. Um, with that, let's uh, jump over to negatives. Most of my negatives uh with the film are things that were basically left out uh and I'll get to those more during book versus movie. Mainly the huge fight that happens at Hogwarts, it was a great dress rehearsal in the book for the eventual massive battle that happens in Deathly Hallows. Um, I wish they would have had that in here. That would have been really cool. Um, but if you if you erase the book from your mind and watch the film with only the previous films in mind, it's, it's actually a very, very well-made film. The action, like I keep saying, is incredibly well done. Cinematography is excellent. It's no surprise to that because it did win the Oscar for Best Cinematography that year. And then The Death of Dumbledore still breaks the audience's heart every time they watch this. The reason why a lot of fans have it so far down in their rankings is because it's very, very different from the book. I understand that the books are so beloved. I love them as well, but I also understand, though, that you can't put everything in the film, and some things work and some things don't work on screen. It's the job of the crew to kind of figure out what's best for not just this film, but because it's a franchise, for it to work as a whole. So I understand that. But there are still things that they should have put in there. Very, very big missed opportunities here, especially Dumbledore's funeral. We don't get that in here. It would have been a great way for it to set up the, the, the rest of the franchise with the Deathly Hallows Part 1 and 2. My biggest negative, though, is for both the film and the book. Jenny and Harry have no chemistry. Their relationship makes absolutely no sense to me. I I talked about it at the top of the episode, but I want to mention it again during the negatives because it is my biggest gripe of not just the Half-Blood Prince, but the entire franchise. Harry and Hermione had way more chemistry and should have ended up together. Case closed. The books and the movies clearly show... That Hermione and Harry have way more chemistry together than him and Jenny. That their relationship is just awkward and weird and doesn't make any sense. I understand that Ron and Hermione maybe had some chemistry off camera or during the off during the summer or the holiday, whatever. But on screen and what we understand from the book, Harry and Hermione were perfect matches together. They clearly had chemistry. They have a bond. They're close together. They just they relate more to each other. Their relationship makes way more sense than her and her her and Ron ending up together and Harry and Jenny. But Jenny and Harry are by far the worst compatible people ever. Their relationship, their love absolutely makes no sense. And I'm sure JK Rowling has gone on record stating that it doesn't make sense either. It's just from my, where I'm sitting, what I'm reading, what I'm looking at makes no sense. And that is probably my biggest gripe of the franchise, especially this film. Speaking of books and film, let's jump over to book versus movie. So, the first one on my list uh, is the opening. The film opens up with the Death Eaters causing chaos in London and Diagon Alley. Greyback, who is one of the Death Eaters, is shown kidnapping Ollivander from his wand shop. That was a cool scene. I did like that. The book, however, opens up very, very differently. Cornelius Fudge is talking with the Muggle Prime Minister about Voldemort being back and that the magical world is in grave danger. It's also revealed that Rufus... I'm going to butcher this name... Scrimmager uh it was Bill Nye's character in the movie is the new minister for magic but he doesn't actually show up until Deathly Hallows part 1 and I'll talk about him more next week I love both of these um it would have been really cool to see the muggle crime minister interact with Cornelius and talk about the magical world uh but I do love how the whole kidnapping Ollivander really sets up the tone of the film. So I'm kind of torn on this. I'm going to. I think it was the right way to go opening up the film with the kidnapping of Ollivander. Now they don't really talk about why they want him. That'll come later. But the scene itself really does a great job, like I keep saying, of setting this tone of the movie. Like. The Death Eaters in Baltimore are not messing around. They are here to caught chaos. They they want power, and they have a mission, and they are going to do anything, and they're going to do anything to anyone to get it. So I think I lean towards the film's choice of opening it up that way. But I do still really like, like it when the magical world and the muggle world actually interact. We saw that a lot in Fantastic Beasts. So it would have been really cool to get that in the in the film half Prince also. But that's just my opinion. I, I understand both sides uh, but I think I lean towards uh, the movie version just because it does a really good job at setting the overall tone of the film. Next one I have, in the film Luna finds Harry on the train after he's eavesdropping on Malfoy's conversation backfires uh, in the book. However, it's actually Tonks who finds him. This is going to, this has a, been a, a really big trend with these films. They, they like to give certain characters more. Uh, they like to combine stuff with characters. Neville is a good example. He kind of took over Dobby's role uh, in a couple of the films. Now, Luna is kind of taking over Tonks, his uh, stuff like Tonks' um, role. Uh, so, I mean, as much as I would have loved to see Tonks in this, I think it was the best way to kind of give the audience a little more familiar with Luna Lovegood because she does end up playing a decent role in the last couple films, putting Tonks in there would have been cool to see, you know, because we don't really get, we don't really get to see her and Lupin and the rest of the aura very often, but I understand why they're combining characters and giving characters, other characters roles, because I mean throwing some, throwing all of these characters at at the audience at once can be kind of overwhelming especially for people who haven't really read the books or have really no history with them so i understand that from a movie making perspective but again with a lot of these i understand both camps you know i understand that the books are so beloved and changing stuff like something little like this is um is understandable i mean i'm sure a lot of it had to do with budget you know you'd have to pay the actress who played tonks for her time why do that when you already have Luna good here. Just give it to her. You're already paying for her. So I understand that from a financial standpoint as well. Uh, the next one I have, uh, the, f- the film just throws the Lupin and Tonks relationship right at the audience. Um, the book actually spends a good amount of time setting this relationship up, so it does make more sense. Um, Tonks is actually infatuated with Lupin while he kind of hesitates to love her in return. Uh, the film kind of just throws it at you like, hey, these two got together between the films and yeah, they're in love. Uh, But the book actually kind of dives deeper into that. And that, and again, that's probably one of those things that they talked about in the writers rooms. Like, do we really need to spend time on this? Do we, can we, the audience is smart enough. They can just figure it out from themselves that these two characters probably hooked up together off camera. Uh, So completely understandable why they, they didn't really dive into that. Uh, next one, the entire Burrow being burned down by the Death Eaters is completely made up for the film. Uh, it's a very intense and action-packed scene, but in the end, seems pointless because the Burrow looks like it always does in the Deathly Hallows. So this was purely a scene that they just wanted more action, in. they probably looked at the overall movie and just said, "Hey, if we need more action. We need more. We need to get the audience out of their chairs." You know we need to we need some kind of action scene here so they probably just made up this to kind of also add some intensity to you know you know they they probably wanted you to go hey we love the weasleys let's break your heart by burning down their house but as we, as we'll see in deathly hollows was pretty much pointless because they just rebuilt it and it's like nothing ever happened you know so but i understand why they they add a scene like that um, the film only shows two memories of Tom Riddle. While in the book, Harry spends a large chunk of time in Dumbledore's office exploring many, many, many memories of Riddle. Um, we don't get Tom Riddle Sr. We don't get Honky the House Elf. Uh, we don't get Bob Ogden, who is uh, an employee of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement, or the Gaunt family. They are descendants of Salazar Silleran. Uh This is actually Tom Riddle's mom's maiden name she's a gonk uh, they're very very powerful wizard family uh and they they get mentioned quite a bit in the books. so i understand that you know these two memories that's probably all they had time for this would have been a three three and a half hour film if we got this montage of harry going through all these memories and it probably would have just been a lot of information for the audience to get thrown out at them so they're like let's cut down to two Let's make it simple. Let's get to the point. Let's just have it focused on the whole cruxes. That's simple enough for the audience to understand. So I completely, completely, I'm on the side of the writers on that one where, I mean, as cool as it would have been to get all these characters, it's just a lot for the audience to, to handle. You know, especially, I mean, it seems like everyone, a lot of people grew up reading the books, but there is actually a large number of people who haven't. So that's why I'm always a defender of this film is because at the time there was a large percentage of moviegoers that were only movie fans. They didn't read the books probably until after the movies came out or while the movies were coming out. So I understand why they cut and changed a lot of stuff in this one because they wanted to make a cohesive enough film to where it wouldn't confuse the audience and it would kind of get. ball rolling for the deathly hollows which is the the finale of this whole harry potter uh, section of the universe so this again i'm totally on the side of the writers but i understand why a lot of the fans are are upset with this film because it left out a lot of this cool stuff that would have been nice to see on screen um the fight between malfoy and harry is slightly different in the book in the book Moni Myrtle is actually present during the fight. She doesn't appear in any of the films after the Goblet of Fire. Um, Malfoy doesn't know that Harry is actually following him, which prompts him to attack Harry first. Uh, And then Malfoy is also very, very less cocky during this fight, you know, because he's dealing with all this Death Eater stuff. I'm fine with this also. I think this scene was perfect. Uh, Adding Moni Myrtle in there would have been just an element that they didn't need. It would have... I'm probably going to upset a lot of of fans here, but I do not care for the Morning Myrtle character. I think she was... I think having her in Chamber of Secrets made sense, but that should have been it. She shouldn't have been in Goblet of Fire. That scene was awkward as all hell with Harry naked in the tub, and she's just creeping on him. Putting her in this would have ruined this scene, and I'm going to stand by that. This scene was perfect. Harry, Malfoy, going at it. That's all we needed. We did not need to add Moaning Myrtle into it. So I'm really, really glad that they cut her out of it. But I understand that there are fans out there who really love the books and they want it to be as accurate as possible. But this is a, a clear example of not everything needs to be in the movie as far as book wise Next one um in the book Dumbledore actually freezes Harry under the invisible cloak so that he doesn't interfere in Dumbledore's plan to be killed by Snape instead of Malfoy In the film Snape assures Harry that everything will be okay while Harry is hiding down below visibility cloak isn't even a thing in this in this scene uh again I'm actually not sure what I what I prefer. I mean having the visibility cloak didn't really make much sense because they were a rap a, operating a lot. So and then I mean I get why I get why they did it. You know, they wanted they wanted Snape to be to seem like a friend to Harry. Uh so maybe that's why they set it up. I this one I really have no preference on it. I, I'm fine with the way the movie was. Um, there's actually a huge fight, like I said, happening at Hogwarts when Harry and Dumbledore return from fighting the Horcrux. The film completely omits this. Uh, Malfoy and the Death Eaters don't run into anyone at Hogwarts before finding Dumbledore, which is very, very unbelievable. I, I, I have a hard time believing that they didn't come across anybody. Like, not even a student, not even a professor just walking around keeping an eye on people at night. That, I wish there would have been a fight broken out. That would have been a great action scene to add in there before we get this tragic death of Dumbledore. So that one I don't agree with. I I really wish they would have cut some other stuff out and, and put this in there instead. And then the book actually explains why Snape calls himself the Apple of Prince. The film doesn't really do it. We just get the line of Snape saying, I am the Half-Blood Prince, and that is it. Uh, Snape is actually a Half-Blood, and his mother's maiden name was Prince before marrying Tobias Snape. Ergo, he's the Half-Blood Prince. I mean, it's pretty simple, um, but that's that's the explanation behind his name. It's nothing about being royalty or anything like that. It's simply that his mom's maiden name was Prince and that he's a Half-Blood. And then, lastly, there is no funeral for Dumbledore in the film. Uh, in the book, it was a great way to kind of set up Deathly Hallows with all the cameos, and of course, giving the reader as well as the characters the chance to say goodbye to the beloved headmaster. I just like the the, the fight that didn't get into the film. I wish they would have cut stuff out and put this in the film. This would have been a an incredible scene to watch. The funeral for dumbledore and having everybody say goodbye one last time and then kind of bringing back i mean the cameos would have been insane like you could have had everybody return for like a quick five minute scene like it wouldn't have cost the studio very much to get all these characters back would have been awesome to see them all and a great way to set up the deathly hollows as well as a final goodbye to the headmaster like i said like they really really should have put. uh that in there uh to end the episode let's talk about the harry potter rankings so as a refresher here is the current harry potter rankings and number one we have harry potter the goblet of fire two the half-blood prince three the deathly hallows part two four the order of the phoenix five the prisoner of azkaban six the deathly hallows part one seven chamber of secrets Eight, The Sorcerer's Stone. Nine, Fantastic Beasts: Secrets of Dumbledore. Ten, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. And rounding out the list at number eleven, Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald. So, Goblet of Fire, Dethroned, Half-Blood Prince, a couple of weeks ago, and rightfully so. I absolutely love the Half-Blood Prince, but I don't agree with all the decisions that were made like cutting out some really cool stuff from the book, especially the huge battle at Hogwarts. It's pretty unbelievable that the Death Eaters didn't encounter any students or staff while they were sneaking around the castle. But I still think it's a really well-made film. It's It looks beautiful. The wand fights are intense, especially that one, that scene between Malfoy and Harry in the bathroom. And the cast, aside from Radcliffe, of course, are incredible. And Dumbledore's death is such a gut puncher. I, got ch- I get choked up every time I rewatch it. it. It really hits me when all the students and staff at Hogwarts point their wands up to the sky and and destroy the dark mark uh, that's over the castle. That's why it's staying at number two. I've always been a defender of the film and will continue to do so. I appreciate the film for what it is, even though I, I have similar issues with it, a lot like other fans do. I just don't let it get to me. Uh, I'm more forgiving because in my eyes, it's beautifully made. Uh, cinematography deserved that Oscar because it, this film looks incredible. It's one of the best looking films, not just in the franchise, but that I've seen. And I've seen a lot of films. So kudos to the cinematographer and, and the team behind it to to create such a beautiful looking film. Uh, so as of right now, the list has not changed. I'm really curious to see how we get into these final two uh, films on if they get uh, moved up. I could see Deathly Hallows Part 2 maybe getting up a few spots just because that is such an incredible film. It's a great way to end end this beloved franchise. So I'm really curious to see. Deathly Hallows Part 1 is great. Uh, It's incredible actually, but, it is definitely a slow burn because it's really setting up that final film. So you kind of have to just soldier through the not really boring. I wouldn't use boring as a term, but it's really plot heavy. So in order to, and I'm really glad that they did split this up because you, you get the film that's basically setting up everything. And then you get the second film where it's just all out war which is perfect to me. I I think the decision to split it up was the right thing to do. Um, But until then, you can, of course, uh, find this list and many more on both IMDb and Letterboxd. Just uh, search for Cinematic views. There are like 60 or 70 lists on there right now with many, many more on the way. They they range from Harry Potter to Quentin Tarantino to even musicals. Uh, There's really a list on there for every kind of movie fan. Uh, I enjoy ranking movies and sharing them with the world. Uh, it's a great way to debate with other movie fans. Uh, and I just have a, bla- a blast doing it. So that's why it's such a, a big part of the show. And I will continue to do do that as well. Well, that'll do it for this week's Harry Potter episode. Tune in next week for part one of the two-part finale of the Harry Potter season with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part one. Also next week, join me for the 2022 in review episode, which is where I'll be revealing my favorite films and shows of 2022, along with my Oscar predictions. Later, everyone.